turn, if you will, to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. It's always a, it's always a good time and a, an honor to be up here and preach the word. Um, it's not something I take lightly, so I always want to start off in thanking you for allowing me to come up here and preach. Um, as always, I would like to start off in prayer, so if you would, just pray with me for a moment and then we'll just dive in. Heavenly Father, you are a good and gracious God. You are the one true God. You have spoken to us through your word, and it is clear. I pray that tonight I would stand behind that word, that I would decrease and you would increase, Lord. Open our ears and our eyes today that we may know your scriptures, we may know your words. I pray that you would continue to grow us through your truth, God. This word is truth. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. So today we're going to be in John chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. We're going to focus specifically on verses 7 through 10. So first, let's read verses 1 through 10. <clears throat> truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus begins in John chapter 10 with his response from the events that have taken place in John chapter 9. He begins saying, truly, truly, I say to you. He, specific, he's, he is teaching to a specific people. And for us to truly understand what is going on in John chapter 10, we need to know what happened in John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, we see the story of the man who was born blind. The disciples had asked Jesus who had, who had sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus responds that he was not born blind because of his sin, for we would all be born blind, but, as verse states, that the power of God may be displayed in him. So what does Jesus do? 
on the Sabbath. He seems to love to do these type of things on the Sabbath. He spits in the dirt, makes mud, places it on the man's eyes, and the man goes in the pool and is instantly healed. As we can imagine, the miracle got a lot of people talking, and the Pharisees caught wind of this. There was a division among them, and some rejected Jesus as being from God because he healed on the Sabbath. Listen to that. Every time I read that, it blows my mind. The reason why they rejected Jesus was not because of the miracle he, met, he had or even his teaching. It was the fact that he performed it on the Sabbath. Like I said, talk about missing the point. They questioned the man who was healed, and finally they confirmed that he was born blind, but now he can truly see. And the response in verse 34, whenever this man proclaimed how and from who he had received his sight, it wasn't to bring glory to God because of this amazing work. It wasn't to see or confirm that this man was from God that healed him. They rejected him. They rejected that premise altogether. And what, is, what, what do we read in chapter 9 of verse 34? They answered him, the man that was healed, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. They condemn him, they chastise him, and they cast him out of the synagogue for being healed and being a witness of how it happened. Now, this is very important for our context of how, what we're going to talk about today in chapter 10. Verses 35 through 41, Jesus finds this man, confronts him, proclaims who he is to him. And the Pharisees near Jesus heard him, and Jesus announced judgment on the Pharisees. And then he goes directly to chapter 10. The text doesn't say that there was some duration of time between the two or that there was some change of topic, but Jesus in verse 1 of chapter 10 continues his talk with the Pharisees concerning what had just happened. Jesus grows directly into this figure of speech that we just read in chapter 10. Now that we understand the context a little bit more of where this figure of speech is coming from, let us dive into the first verse. Verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Jesus uses this figure of speech in order to convey some greater points about himself. The figure of speech that Jesus uses of sheep and their sheepfold would have been extremely um, familiar to the readers of John and to the hearers that are listening to Jesus at this moment. They would have automatically understood exactly what Jesus was talking about and would have had a picture in their mind of what Jesus is saying. Shepherds at night would lead their sheep into a sheepfold or a big pen that had walls around it. It was enclosed. There was one way in and one way out. The purpose of this is so, one, the sheep wouldn't wander out and get lost. And secondly... So predators wouldn't come in and harm them. A gatekeeper would stand or sleep in front of the door so none of the sheep would leave and only the true shepherd could come in and out and gather his sheep if need be. Like I said, we need to keep this in our head. There is only one way in and one way out of that sheepfold. 
Here in verse 1, Jesus gives a specific mark on how to tell if someone is a thief and robber. According to Jesus, it is how they try to enter the sheepfold. Why is this, according to Jesus, the mark for the thief and the robber? Because if you have no ill intent, if you are the authorized person to enter the sheepfold, why would you go any other way? It doesn't make any sense. If you're the rightful person to enter the sheepfold, you would go through that door. And that's what Jesus is talking about. So here in verse 1, Jesus is condemning the Pharisees. That's the whole context of what's going on. The Pharisees had cast out a sheep in chapter 9. And now Jesus is condemning them because of their poor and false shepherding. This is an illustration of the event that just happened in chapter 9. Now, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time in verse 1, but I did want to mention it to help us understand the figure of speech that Jesus is using in verses 6 through 10. Verses 2 through 5, we see Jesus further expanding the role of the shepherd. We have some characteristics that marks the true shepherd, which include entering the door correctly, having the sheep hear his voice. These are all characteristics of the true shepherd. And ultimately, what Jesus is doing is condemning the Pharisees as false shepherds and saying that he is the true shepherd. Now, and then he expands on that more in verse 11. I'm going to leave it at that, verses 2 through 5, and the topic of the good shepherd, because Matt McBroom next week is going to preach that sermon, and you don't want to miss that. So be sure to be here for that, because I'm sure he's going to do a great job. But we move on to verse 6 and 10 for tonight. Verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Verse 6 gives us this transitional verse between verses 1 through 5 and then verses 7 and following. This is not some throwaway verse that we just need to skip over. No verse in the Bible is. We do see some specific truths in this verse. We see that the Pharisees could not understand what Jesus was talking about because they were not his sheep. Jesus has already condemned them in chapter 9, verse 41, as blind. We should not be surprised, indeed, that they would not be able to understand Jesus' teaching. They had rejected Jesus, therefore they could not understand what he was talking about. The very fact that Jesus was working in the world causes men and women, the Pharisees, to either reject him or stand behind him. You cannot encounter Jesus and stay neutral, as we will see with the thieves and robbers in the narrative. Now we move on to verses 7 and 10. And there are three simple points that I want to bring about as we walk through these passages. The first is Jesus' claim for entrance is exclusive. The second, the thief and robber's aim is destruction. And the third Jesus' promise for believers to have, is to have life in abundance. Our first point tonight. Jesus' claim for entrance is exclusive. Look at verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. In verses 1 through 5, Jesus is pointing to himself as the good shepherd. 
of the sheep. That leads um, through the door of the sheep. Here in verse 7, he is that door. It would make sense that because the Pharisees did not understand Jesus or the figure of speech that he was talking about, that Christ would have tried to explain further the relationship between the good and bad shepherd. At least that was what I was expecting when I was reading verses 1 through 5. However, he changes emphasis and goes into another truth about himself. D.A. Carson, in his commentary on John, states, It is the message that controls the sheep farming symbols, not vice versa. So Jesus Christ wanted to emphasize another truth concerning himself using the same figure of speech. Not one metaphor can fully explain who Jesus is and what he came to do. So Jesus uses this opportunity to expand his teachings on verses 1 through 5. And again, we have this analogy of the sheep the sheepfold in the back of everyone's head. The door is where the sheep entered in in order to find safety and pasture with the shepherd. So, the question we need to ask ourselves is what does this mean when he states that he is the door of the sheep? Jesus means that he is the sole means of finding that pasture, that very safety as God, as their shepherd. The Pharisees and all the people around him would have fully understood the weight of what Jesus is stating here. Not only as a practical real-life example, we already know that this is a, a, a community where sheep and, sheep and shepherding is common among themselves. However, in the back of the head, they would have been recalling the scriptures and what Jesus is truly referring to here. There are countless examples in the Old Testament of God indeed being the shepherd, but also of the shepherd gathering, protecting, leading his people to pasture and the people being part of that sheepfold. For time's sake, you don't have to turn there right now. Just listen to some of these Old Testament passages if you want to write them down and look them up later. Psalm 95.7 states, For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So the people are in the pasture with God as his shepherd. Psalm 100, verse 3. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are young. Isaiah, that was Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord, He is our God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. And maybe the most famous psalm that most people know in Psalm 23. I'll just read the first three verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Many times in the, in the Old Testament, the writers use this shepherding analogy to compare or explain their relationship with God. To have God as your shepherd meant that you were part of God's people. 
that he would lead you to safety and pasture. Jesus is stating that the only way that you can be a sheep in this sheepfold with God as your shepherd is to enter through him. No other way. Look at verse 9. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Again, he repeats himself more emphatically who he is. He is, not only does he explain who he is, the door, but now he further explains what happens when a sheep enters through that door. Jesus, still expanding on verses 1 through 5, is making the sole claim that he is the only way one enters into this sheepfold, having this right relationship with God, being saved. If you don't enter the sheepfold, you do not have that right relationship with God. You are not having God as your shepherd, and you are condemned. Remember the metaphor. There was only one way in, not two, into this sheepfold. And that is through Jesus Christ. If anyone is saved by entering through Jesus, the opposite is true for those who do not enter through Jesus, through the door. Jesus wants them to fully understand his point. To get God and have salvation... The only way is through him. According to Jesus, listen to this point. If you don't get anything else of what I'm saying, listen to this. Faith in him is the sole qualification for a person to find salvation. Faith in him is the sole qualification to find salvation. While I was writing the sermon... I was reminded of a time when I was overseas in China. You walk around and you see the people worshiping idols, bringing food to literal idols. You can see them bringing food to them, worshiping ancestors, hoping to find some type of salvation in their process, some sort of pasture or safety within their worshiping of these deities. And it's heart-wrenching because you know that that leads only to destruction. And it's easy for us to say, of course that doesn't save, right? That is superstition and we are beyond that. But have you ever asked yourself, Maybe I'm relying on something that is not so obvious for my salvation apart from Christ and using that as an idol. Those are easy to see because they're there. We can touch them. Other things are harder. It's not your outward appearance or profession. It's not your work that you do inside a church. It is not that you are baptized among believers. It is not your family. It is not your race, your gender, or your social status. According to Jesus Christ, he makes the bold declaration that he is the only way to enter into the sheepfold and have God as his, your shepherd. That is what Jesus is stating. Only by placing your faith on him and him alone. Any other statement that may suggest another way or possible work and Jesus makes salvation impossible. Turn, if you will, to Psalm chapter 118. 
Psalm chapter 118. I want to turn your attention to this verse for two reasons. First, it's an amazing verse. But also it illustrates a point that Jesus is making in John chapter 10. So John chapter 118, or Psalm chapter 118, verses 20 through 22. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. According to Jesus, he is the gate that the righteous enter. By being this door, he has answered us and become our salvation. It is the Lord that has become our salvation. Not by us working to him, but by God coming to us in the person of Jesus Christ. That is what John 1 is talking about. That is what Psalm 118 is talking about. Jesus coming to us. That is what the entire Bible is talking about. Jesus Christ coming to us and saving us. He is that cornerstone of our salvation where everything is built and stands. It's what we sang about earlier. It's what Ephesians chapter 2 and that's what Acts chapter 4 says. The psalm is pointing to Christ as the future salvation that is here and now in John chapter 10. Christ is, Christ is taking sole claim of that. So, uh, Christ is taking sole claim to that where the righteous enter and find salvation. If Jesus is the only means to salvation and the right relationship with God... The opposite is true according to him concerning the thief and robber. Which leads me to my second point. The thief and robber's aim is destruction. Look at verse 8. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. After stating that he was the door of the sheep, he then reminds us that there are thieves and robbers out there. First question we need to ask ourselves... Who are these thieves and robbers? Well, first, Jesus is pointing to the Pharisees that are present there. The sheep are not listening to the Pharisees. And now, they are listening to the true shepherd, Jesus Christ. The Pharisees are only concerned about themselves. God's people are now listening to that true shepherd. That is what chapter 9, specifically verses 35 through 40, is talking about. The thieves and robbers are concerned about themselves, not the sheep. Even after hearing Jesus stating that he is the Son of Man, a direct affirmation of his messianic title, all they care about is themselves. So what about other prophets and men of God within the Old Testament? Are they also thieves and robbers because they came before Jesus? I haven't heard people try to make this claim before. And even say that preachers or shepherds today that call themselves that are in direct opposition of Jesus' teaching here in John chapter 10. However, listen to this in Luke chapter 24, verse 27. After the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples in Luke chapter 24. And, and it states that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interrupted them, he interpreted them, 
in all the scriptures that things concerning himself. These people were pointing to Jesus. Again, that is what the Old Testament was about. The fact that Jesus was coming. So, how are we to interpret this? Well, according to the metaphor, Jesus is the only way to salvation. So, all thieves and robbers point away from that. They point to different ways to salvation. Anyone who does not point to Jesus as the sole means of salvation is that. Look at verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. We see the specific motivation concerning the thief here in verse 10. They come to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus makes no qualms about it. Those who preach any other way than Jesus unto salvation do not have your best interest in mind. The New T Testament speaks often about this. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 3 says this. False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Peter, writing within the first generation of Jesus Christ, some heretical teaching have been popped up within the church. And what makes these heresies destructive? Well, according to John chapter 10, Jesus Christ states anything that points away from Jesus Christ. Anyone who says that there may be another way. That's why the New Testament takes so seriously these types of heresies. This is life and death. Heaven and hell. Nothing short of that. While reading verse 10, my mind can't help but go to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. When Satan acts like this thief and a robber, he wants to devour you. The purpose of the thief and a robber, according to Jesus Christ, is nothing short of utter destruction, which will lead you to hell. They do not come in peace. They do not come with neutral ground. There are some things that we as a church must, must fight for. Salvation through Christ alone is at the top of that list. Which leads me to my last point. Jesus' promise for believers is to have life in abundance. Look at the second part of verse 10. I came that they may have life and have it in abundance. Christ again places himself at the opposite end of the thieves and the robbers. He wanted the Pharisees, and for us to truly understand, that way leads to death and destruction, and through him leads to life. Look at the second verse of verse 10 like we did. He wants to have people have life and have it abundantly. A lot of people combine salvation expressed in verse 9 and the statement in verse 10 as the same thing. And although they are connected and intertwined with each other, they are not the exact same thing. Too many times when speaking about Jesus and what he will do for you, just concerning, we, we, we stop at salvation in heaven. But that's not all of it. William Cook said in his commentary of John, the life of Jesus offers 
The life Jesus offers is full, spiritually satisfying, and free. This goes far beyond the usual thought of salvation blessing as being something in the distant future, but instead also promises a fullness of life in Jesus here and now. In our American culture today, we have somewhat overreacted against the awful heresy of the prosperity gospel, which says that if you have faith in God, he will make everything great, your finances, your health, your relationships, your job, your marriage, everything will be easy. Many times people come to Jesus just wanting physical stuff or an easy life. And when Jesus doesn't deliver what they want, they turn on him. This is an awful, destructive heresy. That is exactly what Jesus was teaching against. The abundant life that Jesus offers isn't always long. It isn't always easy, comfortable, or painless. The abundant life that Jesus gives is a life of satisfaction and joy beyond all understanding in Jesus Christ alone. The only life worth living, according to Jesus, is going through that door and getting that life that he offers. The whole scriptures speak to this truth. I'll mention one so we can kind of get the idea of this. Paul, who by the world's standards had a very hard and difficult life. He was imprisoned, beaten with rods, stoned, received 40 lashes minus one at least five times, shipwrecked and in constant physical danger from the Jews and Roman government. And he states in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5, Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and the endurance produces character, and the character produces hope, and the hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. How was Paul able to rejoice in his sufferings? Well, for two reasons. One, he knew that his sufferings had a purpose. But also, more to our point today, he had that abundant life that Jesus Christ can only offer. Because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we are able to stand in the presence of a holy God when we truly deserved that wrath. And God's very love pours into our heart. And we have God himself living in us, producing the joy that we're not able to produce in times of hardship, in times of strife. Again, the only life worth living is the life that Jesus gives. So what does this mean for our lives today? What, is, what are some applications that we should take from this passage? Well, the first and really the most pressing is have you really put all your faith in Jesus and Him alone? We just read about how Jesus is the only way to salvation. That if you place your faith on any other thing, or even add to Jesus, He will be no advantage to you. So have you placed your faith in Him and Him alone? That is the only means that we are saved and we can enter in that right relationship with God. Secondly, if indeed Christ is the only way to salvation, then we need to point people to him and reject any other way 
and we need to be clear about it. I know many times this is difficult, at least in my life it is, when we have the culture at large stating that we are wrong to say that, stating that we are bigots for saying that salvation is in Christ alone and all other religions are wrong. Or maybe it's hard whenever we have family members and friends who are not believers. Maybe they believe they were saved, but have never placed their faith in Christ alone. But the best thing a person can do, according to Jesus Christ, is walk through that door and find salvation in Him alone. And Christ give that life to Him. Even if it's difficult for us to point them that way at times. And thirdly, anyone who doesn't point to Jesus and claims to be in the church is a thief and robber coming to steal, kill, and destroy. I'm not talking about small things within the scriptures that many people disagree with. But there are some things we need to fight for as a church. And when we cannot, we cannot to- tolerate false teachings on. We cannot compromise when the scriptures refuse to compromise concerning faith in Christ alone. And finally, we talked about this a moment ago, the only life worth living is the one that Christ gives. Jesus gives us strength to make it through the day, gives us joy beyond all understanding. So I pray, as I pray tonight, I I pray that we would think about that. Have we really placed our faith in Him alone so He can give us that abundant life? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to your truth. That you would give us strength when we fail you, Lord. Show us that the only path of salvation is through your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for your Son. That you sent him to die for our sins so that any person who has faith in him may be saved. Lord, we thank you for that. Continue to grow us by your word. It's your son's name that I pray. Amen.